What do we have here? Yeah, here I thought we were special. Fellas, this here's Bagman. Hangman. Whatever. What the hell kind of mission is this? Everyone here is the best there is. Who the hell are they going to get to teach us? Captain Pete Maverick Mitchell. Let me be perfectly blunt. You are not my first choice. You are here at the request of Admiral Kazansky, a.k.a. Iceman. He seems to think that you have something left to offer the Navy. What that is, I can't imagine. With all due respect, sir, I'm not a teacher. Just want to manage expectations. What the hell? Good morning, aviators. This is your captain speaking. Then we're off. Here we go. In three, two, one. We're going into combat on a level no living pilot's ever seen. Not even him. You think up there you're dead. Believe me. My dad believed in you. I'm not going to make the same mistake. Someone's not coming back from this. Those are your pilots. Anything happens to them. You will never forgive yourself. No turning back now. Hello, everyone, and welcome to an all-new episode of Palace Off the Top Rope. Thank you so much for joining me, ladies and gentlemen. And on deck for today's episode. Well, first off, folks, I am back. It's been a long hiatus. Uh, I've pretty much been gone the entire summer. I apologize. Uh, work has been absolute killer, but very awesome in the best way possible. Because for the first time, I think since even before the pandemic, it feels like the movies are actually back. There's people uh, that we thought were never going to return, like like the older crowd, that older demographic that we were like, you know, frantically worried about like post pandemic, were they ever going to come back and, and, and see a movie in a theater? And it turns out that was the case with movies like Top Gun Maverick and Elvis and even adult horror movies like The Black Phone all overperforming. Where the Crawdads Sing. Just so many different adult movies that did so much business this past summer. It was great to see. And that was one of the giant reasons why I wasn't able to deliver episodes for you in the last couple of months. But also, also folks, I was dealing with a lot of technical issues. So my laptop, my previous one was like already on the fritz and it was about to give out. So I was, you know, just getting together funds to try to, to try to invest in a new laptop, which I did. Uh, my mics also were failing me at about the same time my laptop was and my headphones too. So it was just everything spiraling down at the same time. So 
I think it was a good opportunity to take a break and then just regroup, refocus, uh, refund, and, and then get all this stuff upgraded. And here I am back and ready to deliver 100%. Uh, my spinoff show still has yet to return, which, but I'll get started on that. There's going to be episode after episode after episode dropping for that, as well as whenever there's stuff going on here, uh, not just movie-wise, but anything in pop culture, wrestling. Uh, I have a huge thing that I want to talk about in terms of professional wrestling, but I'll leave that towards the end of the episode. Mainly what I wanted to talk about today was just the amazing summer that it has been and I want to catch up on everything that I've seen stuff that I decided to skip uh why stuff was a huge success uh stuff that I never saw coming the juggernaut that was Top Gun Maverick we'll we'll dive into that uh stuff that I think didn't land or and why it didn't land with audiences uh we'll, we'll cover all that and um yeah Comic-Con just happened too so there's a lot of stuff and uh, I'll kind of put my stamp on why I think this is all really about to like really it, it's peaked folks we'll just say that the the comic book stuff you know I I'm not one of those people that does shows and like all they do is talk about this but the fact that it just happened I, I want to tell you why it's peaked so a lot to talk about there a lot to talk about in the world of wrestling that's just about to change forever uh and you know this is not hyperbole like this is for real like this is something i never thought i would see in my lifetime um and and it happened and that's just that i'll leave that for the tease but a lot a lot of stuff to get into but thank you so much for tuning in the wait is finally over i am back uh thank you guys for tuning in let's take a quick break when we come back we'll talk about the summer 2022 movie season and it's been incredible this is palace off the top rope We'll be right back. Okay, simple science and grab. What's the catch? There is no catch. There's always a catch. You stab me? There's someone else doing a job on this train. It's the wolf. Get off the train. Start coming for you. Dude, I don't even know you. Bullet Train in theaters, August 5th, rated R. All right, folks, welcome back to the show. And let's talk about, let's dive into the 2022 movie season this summer. Um, fun, fun one. Uh, one that, you know, I've, I've been in the movie theater industry for about 15, 16 years now. That's including back to my very, very first job. Um, I believe like in 2006. But the company that I've been with, I've been with for 15 years. So, but 16 years total in the business. Um, there's been a lot of crazy summers, but this is the first one, like really post the pandemic. And I was wondering if we were ever going to get back to like a real type of normalcy. Yes, we've been open since the pandemic. Yes, we've had huge hits like Spider-Man No Way Home and Shang-Chi and F9, the fast saga and, you know, just, you know, different things, Sing 2, whatever. But, the summer season of 2022 was really going to be the big test because everything that really got postponed from 2020 uh, put all their chips into this summer, right? Like a Top Gun Maverick, The Minions. All these movies were supposed to be released like back in 2019, if we go back to that. And, you know, 2020 also. So they've been on the shelf for a while. So it's like, is everything going to pay off? But let's start off with uh, obviously the big hitter. Uh, Marvel, uh, they kicked it off with Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Um, that was going to bring back Sam Raimi, who had done the Spider-Man movies, like the original Spider-Man uh, movies with Tobey Maguire 
before the MCU and all that stuff. So they were bringing back like an original director, and, and but now he's going to be in the MCU fold. So like, how is he going to adapt to that? Is he going to be able to do his style? Uh, the movie was okay, three stars. I enjoyed it. Um, I enjoyed the the Sam Raimiisms in the movie. So there was a lot of fun stuff with that. That was the most enjoyable part of it. You know, the the stuff that didn't work for that movie, I thought was all MCU related where it tried to just bring in a lot of different elements from like the WandaVision show. And, you know, they're starting to kick off. This is officially the multiverse saga. Um, so there's going to be a lot of wacky, weird stuff. And uh, to be honest, I think it's going to be a lot of things that are going to just go over a lot of the mainstream audience's heads. And to me, that's not a good thing. Like, I know all the little geeks and marks are going to like this stuff because it's like they re- they read all this stuff hardcore. Uh, but, you know, I I like for these movies to cater to everybody. You know, I'm a diehard wrestling fan, but I don't want it to be so, like, geeky to the point where it'll go past the heads of a casual viewer that I'll just watch here and there. Like, for example, I really love AEW. Um and they just had a show this past summer, a pay-per-view show, where they collided with another wrestling promotion called New Japan Pro Wrestling. But a lot of the the mainstream people don't even know what that is or, or who the wrestlers are in that company. You know, they're, they're barely just getting to know what AEW is. And the only reason they know that is because a chunk of the roster are former WWE guys. And everybody knows WWE, right? Stone Cold, The Rock, Hogan, Cena, all that stuff. So... You know, that that's the mainstream. But they tried to make it seem like, you know, just they were just catering straight to that hardcore audience, which is fine. But if you're trying to grow the brand, if you're trying to just go beyond what 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 you're available to reach, then, you know, you have to educate the audience. You can't just expect them to, oh, you didn't know who this person was or you didn't know who this character was. And I feel like this is where we're headed. With the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it's just going to be a lot of stuff where people are going to be like, what the heck is this? This is coming out of nowhere. But then you'll have those little geeks that put up their glasses and like tell you like, oh, you didn't read this? Like, no, I watched the movies. I'm a casual. I'm a casual. I don't even consider myself a hardcore uh, Marvel guy. And I like, you know, a chunk of these movies, you know, despite contrary to other people's beliefs that I'm a hater and all that stuff on these things. I actually enjoy a lot of these movies, but... You know, also, I don't consider myself hardcore where I know every little single thing. Like, I didn't know who Thanos was when he was first introduced, but they did a good job of explaining who he was as uh, the movies were going forward. But now that we're starting to get away from a lot of the more familiar characters like the original Captain America and, of course, Iron Man. And, you know, they're introducing stuff like Moon Knight and 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 Shang-Chi. And, and I mean, that, that's cool and all, but... Also, you're not really getting stars in those roles. You're just getting, I think to me, they're just faces where Marvel, I think, is starting to rely more on its brand more than creating superstars, which I, I think you need to create superstars to just make anything. Like, yes, you can get money off the brand, but if you're going to elevate it and have people that want to come back, like, you need stars. Where's the next Robert Downey Jr., the next Chris Evans? Like, right now, it looks like they're solely focused on diversity hire, which is great. But you also need your stars. You also need to to get people who are going to bring box office to this thing. And yes, it's good right now for the brand because they're still coming off of like uh, the high of Endgame. Like right now, like there's nobody that can top Marvel in terms of like how they're bringing in business uh, for these movies. 
But in the long run, down the line, as you get weirder and weirder and weirder and you bring all these more like obscure characters into the fold, but you're not putting superstars behind those faces, I think it's just really going to – it's going to peak and people are going to just be like, you know what? I'm kind of over this. And believe me, I, I think it's going to happen. It happened with wrestling where Vince McMahon and WWE wanted to focus more – on the brand, like they think because it's WWE, like people are just gonna watch, and there still are. You got your hardcores, but that audience has dwindled like throughout time. And I follow this stuff closely, so I can tell you, like, star power matters. You know, last summer, for example, like they barely got back on the road doing shows in front of people and all that stuff, and their numbers were still pretty down, and the attendance was kind of down. And I know some of that was pandemic, but still, like, people were starting to go out again, so it wasn't like there wasn't anybody going out. But the minute they announced John Cena returning, all of a sudden ticket sales went up and sellouts and all that stuff. So star power matters when it comes to your brand. And I think what the MCU is going to be, their biggest issue is going to be is star power. And I don't care if they announce Avengers movies or whatever, but if you're not building up stars and you don't have people coming in to play those characters that you want to elevate, I I just don't think it's going to work. But I'm going off track a little bit. Um... But Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, it was a fine movie. It is what it was. It's just another chapter, a flavor of the week. That's what these movies have started to feel like ever since Endgame finished. Because to me, Endgame was like peak blockbuster for MCU. Like, how do you get bigger than destroying half the universe and then having your entire core uh, heroes battle together at the very end? Like, there's that final huge shot, right, of all of them together, and they defeat the huge villain. Like, to me, that's peak. Like, you can't replicate that you can't do that again so they're trying different things now with the mcu but i just i think it's going to just get too weird and and it has like you know looking at some of the stuff that's come out like moon knight was very diverse and and critically mixed um all the other things too eternals flopped you know that was supposed to introduce like this next new like wave of people that were going to like lead the the next set of avengers and all that stuff and that flopped you know um and, you know, some of it's the audience, too. Like, we're, we're used to that familiarity. But also, all they needed to do was get a star behind these faces instead of just focusing so much on the the diversity stuff, which is great. But you need a star. If you had someone like – and I always throw this example out there. If you had, like, a Leonardo DiCaprio, like, behind one of these characters, like, boom. Like, you have me hooked. You have me sold. But – you know, we're still early on in this next like iteration of what Marvel's going to do for the next 10 years. So we're still at the beginning, but you know, we were at the beginning last time and they kind of already had their shit together and where we were headed. So right now it's still kind of bumbled and we've had so many projects already like in this uh, post end game world and we still kind of don't have an idea of like who's, who's the leader? What are we dealing with here? What's the, uh, what's the big villain? Like what, like, what's going on? And I know it's going to take more time. They're probably going to, you know, just develop it very slowly. But, you know, for the mainstream audience, like the casuals that just go in there on a Friday night, like, oh, new Marvel movies out. Let's see what we got. And it just gets weirder and weirder. Like, I don't know. They, they may start tuning out. And we'll get to why I think that may be happening once we get to the second Marvel movie that released this summer. So Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness opened huge, obviously. It was following up spider-man no way home so that probably had a lot to do with it because 
Doctor Strange did appear in that movie, and there was just a lot of talk about, you know, messing up timelines and bringing in people from different uh, alternate universes. So there was a, a high anticipation for it. So, you know, Doctor Strange is not like the most bankable star, but, you know, he's appeared in a couple of Avengers movies already. Benedict Cumberbatch is kind of a little bit more well-known, not as huge as like a Downey Jr., but still well-known. So that movie opened huge, and I think up until this point, I think it's grossed about $400 million domestic, which is huge for that character, right? That's kind of like a, to me, that's like a C-tier character, and it made $400 million. But again, I think a chunk of it was because of the curiosity factor of the post-No Way Home fallout. But also, also, folks, you forget... It matters who's behind these movies. Even though Kevin Feige has a lot of, you know, final say, it's nice to have directors with vision. Um, and Sam Raimi just brought a lot of cool stuff to it. A lot of horror elements. You know, he's a guy that does like the Evil Dead movies and, and that stuff. So if you're familiar with his work, you'll enjoy this one. And I did. Like, what, could I watch it again? Sure. Would I pick it up as a steel book for my physical media collection? Sure. Like, I thought it was a fine chapter. Like it, what my fear was with this thing is that it was going to go all over the place with multiverse and, you know, seven different Spider-Mans and, you know, Ben Affleck returning as daredevil, even though he's not the daredevil of this world and nothing matters anymore because it's all just content that that's, that's what everybody else was looking for. Right. Like they want to see, like, I, I think they're more interested in the cameos and the actual story, but Dr. Strange did provide in this chapter, a very singular story, and I like the return of Rachel McAdams, so the, the little love story there. You know, Marvel could use a lot more romance in their movies, you know, to, you know, I, I think that's always a core thing in, in movies to make, the, to give them that emotional weight, you know. They don't just have to be meaty men and beating up bad guys and all that stuff. Like, they can have feelings and want love and all that stuff. So to me, it was just fine. Like, it was fine, made a lot of money. Uh, I think it's close to making a billion worldwide. I don't know if it's going to reach that mark. It's like already on Disney Plus. We still have it at our theaters, so you know. Oh, I think we still have it. I don't know. Like I said, it's been a crazy summer. It feels like everything has been doing well. So I know it, it, it lasted for a very long time. I'll tell you that. So that was the start of May, and then towards the middle, you know, we had uh, the the sequel to Downton Abbey. That one did okay, not as strong as the first movie. Um, I thought it was going to overperform just based on me underestimating the first movie and, and that audience. Like there is a huge, um, fan base for that here, but, um, they didn't turn out for that one. So that kind of gave me a little bit of pause for Top Gun, which was going to be coming up at the end of May because you're looking at that older demographic. You're like, oh man, like, are they going to, they didn't show up for this. So, the, you know, the older people, like, are they going to show up for Top Gun? 36 years in the making, like, but then I remembered in the back of my mind that during all of this pandemic, when it was super slow at the theaters and, you know, we still had people coming out, like the one movie everybody talked about and everybody asked me about, at least when I was, you know, talking with guests and all that stuff, they would always ask me, hey, when is Top Gun Maverick coming out? And I was like, well, damn, it, you know, it should have been released in 2020, but I think they pushed it all the way to, to this this summer. And, you know, they'd be like, oh, man, like, I've been waiting for that one. And everybody had always asked about that movie. So I that weighed in the back of my mind, like, this is going to be a lot bigger than, you know, what people are thinking. And I said this to a couple of people, 
at my job and you know they didn't believe me they're like eh, it's 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 gonna be all right it's for it's you know a lot of the young people are not going to care because they're not familiar with top gun and you know we don't even know if the the older people are going to come back so but i was like man there was there's just too many people asking about it and, and it was funny because you know i know there was a huge wait for it but i didn't think there was going to be a lot of people asking for it and sure enough here comes memorial day weekend right the movie finally releases uh first off i got to see it like ahead of time like a couple days before it actually opened went with my dad and holy shit this movie was incredible like to me it's still the best movie of the year hands down um just incredible performances um but the best thing about this movie and i don't think it would have worked had they like just cgi'd and you know did stuff in green screen was the fact that all the aerial sequences probably like about 95 percent right were all done for real so that it made the movie look more authentic right because we see all the all the movies now with the with all the action and you could totally tell it's fabricated and done in front of a green screen even a chunk of the marvel movies they're not even done like on location or anything like that they're done in a little studio and and a green screen's just put around it. Like that's that's just the way these movies are made now. But you look at Top Gun and when you watch that movie from beginning to end and like and most of it is in the daytime, so it's not like they can cover stuff up and you could tell they're out in the sky and out and just on location and stuff like that. So it was it's weird how it was done very old school, but it felt like a very big breath of fresh air. And and that was just incredible to see. Like the movie is just fantastic. If you haven't seen it yet, folks, like I'm telling you, like I I recommend movies to people, but if if I'm asking people like at the theater still and they're asking me like, Oh, what do you got playing or or what should I see? And I mentioned that I was like, if you haven't seen it, I tell them you gotta see Top Gun Maverick. Even if even if you've never seen the original, you know, that's fine. But what was great about Top Gun Maverick was that it opened like gigantic. It was the biggest Memorial Day opening ever. I think over like a hundred and close to 150 million, like for Memorial Day weekend, 124 like domestic for the three day. Um, right now, currently, and even like right now in my theater, that movie is still selling out from the moment that movie came out. It has not stopped selling tickets. It's always been over 50% since it opened. And that was back at the end of May. And we're now what? The tail end of July. That, that's incredible for a movie, like back in the day, whatever, like movies did that, you know, a long time ago, like back in like the 90s and stuff like that, where they held and played over and over again. But we're talking about now in a world where the release window from like theater to home video is shorter. The fact that we got streaming and there's piracy and all these different things. And the fact that that movie is still selling now because the way Tom Cruise made this movie was to see it on the biggest screen possible. So... Since the moment it's open, and at least in my theater, it has never stopped being less than 50% full. And even so, this, and we've had it like already like in a smaller auditorium, like we still have it in decent size, but the fact that it's still selling out and the fact that the other movies have dropped off so quickly, we're bringing it back into our larger auditoriums. Like that's how well that movie is still doing. And where it's sitting right now, folks, like just in the landscape of history, this movie sits at number nine on the all-time highest-grossing movies domestically, of course, in the U.S. And that's really the only gross I really care about. Worldwide is cool, and you can talk about all these movies that have hit a billion, and but whatever. I care about the domestic gross because if you want to talk about worldwide, you know why the hell like why didn't we get sequels to Warcraft, right? Where that movie 
like was a huge dud here, but it made massive loads of money overseas, but we never saw anything of it, which is why I'm always skeptical of the worldwide stuff. It's, it's a cool number to, to brag about, like in context. But if you want to talk about the stuff that matters, look at the domestic grocers. So this movie sits at number nine at around 630 million, right? It just passed the Avengers, folks. The first Avengers movie, which was like a, one of the biggest giant movies of our time. And it, little Tom Cruise passed that. Like this is the biggest hit of Tom Cruise's career. And, and the movie backs itself up too. It's like, it's that damn good. People just keep coming back to see it. Older people, you know, people my age, the younger generation are checking this out. And even that, they're, they're even going back to see the original just to get even more context, um, on the sequel. You know, even my, even my little girl was like, Hey, like that movie was awesome. Like I would buy it. Like she, she literally said that. And these kids like don't even have to buy movies anymore. They can stream everything. And I remember that was one of the things that came out of her mouth. She was like, I would buy it. Like that's how much this movie has just impacted and just made such a it, it's having a big pop culture moment right now and, and i never envisioned this did i envision the movie being a huge success yes but i never envisioned it to be the juggernaut that it is right now and never in my wildest dreams that i think it was going to make this uh amount of money and it remains to be seen where it's going to finish off because like i said if you look at the grosses every weekend this movie has yet to dip below double digit like it's still making in the millions like every single weekend and it's still projected to make like around 10 million this weekend so we'll see if it finally dips below those double digits but what this movie has accomplished financially and the fact that tom cruise said this movie will never make it to streaming when all the shit was going down and everything was shutting down they were deciding to put movies on the streamers tom cruise said no this movie uh, Forever, as long as we have to hold it, we will, but it will be released in a theater and theater only. And holy shit, was he right? Like everybody criticized him and everybody made, you know, comments like, oh, just adapt, like streaming's the future. And he said, no, goddammit. He said, movie theaters are the place to see these kinds of movies and I will continue to make them. So he deserves all the kudo, all the money that he's made off of this. Uh, and I'm sure he's going to have even more power now that the fact that this movie made such a huge amount of money, this goes to show, and, and yet they still haven't even, you know, said when this movie's going to hit streaming. Like, when is it going to go to Paramount Plus? Doesn't matter because everybody's going out to see it in the theater. So who cares? Try, try to rake in as much money as you can for this. And, I think it, it'll end up somewhere over 700 million when it's all said and done. And that'll just be incredible. And you're talking about a top 10 list that has a bunch of comic book movies, uh, Star Wars and James Cameron movies. And then you have little Tom Cruise, like the last big movie star of our lifetime. And I just ran through his entire filmography. You know, I, I wanted to go back and really just explore. There's some stuff like, of course, that I'm familiar with, but there was a couple of things that I've never seen of his. And man, like this guy just, everyone, I think a lot of people take this guy for granted when they say like, oh, he's like the last great movie star. Like, no, he really is. Go back and watch his work. Like he is just on a different level than anybody else. Like nobody does it like him. And I'm so glad he stood his ground for Top Gun Maverick because it became just the biggest movie uh since what? I mean, yeah, No Way Home. We, but we knew that movie. 
was going to do massive amounts of numbers. And this is where I take issue with like the comic book geeks and all those MCU marks where they're like, well, it won't make as much money as Avengers and, and, and Spider-Man. It's like, yeah, you idiot, because those are the most popular movies. Like we know everybody's going to come see those movies. Like we were never worried about that. We were worried about these old, type of old school action blockbusters. Like do, would people still care about it? And they're, they were showing you with their wallets this summer with this movie, like bar, bar none, like because of this movie, I think we will continue to see like, you know, these type of action blockbusters continue to be made and not just be so reliant on comic book and, and IP and all that stuff. And, and, and Top Gun, like it's not, it's not even a, well now it's a franchise, but before it was just one movie. So like, it wasn't like there was like seven of these movies beforehand. So you can be like, oh, well, Top Gun was already an established like franchise. Yeah, but in terms of like pop culture, in terms of like music and soundtrack and and all that, but in terms of movies, it was just one. So I don't know. I, I'm just over the moon with with how big this movie was and still is. It's still going, and like I said, it's back on our big screens this weekend. And I'm hoping I can catch it uh, one more time before I eventually buy the 4K, which of course I'm going to buy. Um, I was happy to see it in IMAX. That was the best way to see that movie. I hope that gets a re-release um, as we get closer to maybe the Oscar season. We'll see a re-release. I think it's going to deserve it deserves nominations for cinematography just because of all that amazing camera work they did up in the air with all the actors doing the real flying and stuff. Just incredible storytelling and emotional and, and fun. And it was just one of those movies like where it ended. You were like, A, this is why I go to the movies, and B, like, you just felt good about yourself. Like, I saw, like, grown men and adults just, just so much glee in their faces, especially when that movie kicks off, because obviously it does have, like, nostalgia in it, but it's also telling its own, uh, story, self-contained story. But the amount of glee I saw in a lot of people's faces when this movie kicked off was just tremendous. Like, I don't mean to be cheesy, but it just felt like very hopeful, you know, it was very, and you know, and it's been like a very like negative time in, in, in our world and just a bunch of negativity everywhere. And Top Gun Maverick just kind of like just brought kind of everybody together, even if just for like a little over two hours and where we could all just enjoy a motion picture like that and just have a lot of like just hopefulness at the end of it, like. I never saw anybody come out of that movie was like, oh, that was crap or whatever. It was just a bunch of like, goddamn, that, that, that was so good. That was, and everybody, I would hear that so many times, like, that was so good. Like, like they, they just went in with, I don't want to say low expectations, but they went in with it just thinking like, oh, this may be a little too late. You know, they waited 30 years, you know, there's, there's no way this can be good. And their, their expectations just got blown away. So, um, that has been the biggest story of the summer. And I know it's, we're only, at the end of May, but the, there's a lot of other big success stories this summer, and we turn our attention to June. Um, I thought the movie was okay, but Jurassic World, Dominion, uh, also racked up a lot of money, bringing back the original characters from like the first three movies, Sam Neill, Laura Dern, Jeff Goldblum, all coming back, of course, with Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard. Um, you know, it, it left me a little bit disappointed just because of the story they decided to take this in. But I can't deny that I knew this movie was going to make money regardless because everybody loves these Jurassic Park movies. And no matter what you think of them, uh, I like the, 
I like Fallen Kingdom. I didn't like the Jurassic World, the first one. And, um, and then of course I thought this one was just, eh, I thought it was just there. But despite all of that, these movies have made a buttload of money. And this one too, I think it's already over like 350 million, this movie. I don't know if it's going to hit the 400 million mark. It's already on streaming, but yet people are still going to see this movie. Um, and again, th- this, uh, this whole thing of like, I don't even know why they shortened the window of, of putting movies to the streamers from, from the theaters. Because even when Jurassic World hit the streamers, like, it's still like selling out in our theaters, like right now. Um, so that, that's, uh, that's gonna be an interesting to look, look into for the studios as we move forward. Like, maybe they'll go back to like a 90 day window or a three month window or whatever. Um, I only like it because we get like the Blu-ray and the 4K sooner, but, you know, I'm all for movies having, longer longevity in the theaters like top gun maverick again we don't know when it's going to hit a streamer and i'm sure tom cruise is like holding paramount by the neck like saying like don't you dare try to announce something while this thing's still raking in all the money so jurassic world made a lot of money um our first big dud of the summer movie season was lightyear which folks what the fuck is lightyear uh that's been my biggest question all summer long uh, when this movie was announced, it was, I remember Chris Evans, uh, who, who's voicing Lightyear, but we all know who the real Buzz Lightyear is, right? It's Tim Allen. Um, when he announced that he was going to do this movie and voicing the character, I remember he had to clarify, cause the trailer came out, right? And everyone was like confused, like, well, what the heck is this? This looks like nothing associated with Toy Story. And he basically had to come out and say like, yeah, this isn't, it, it it's not part, part of Toy Story, but it is kind of part of Toy Story. And just the whole marketing and the lead up to it, I just, it had everybody confused, you know, and I joked a lot at work and on social media. What is this thing? What is Lightyear? Can somebody tell me what it is? And, um, sure enough, the box office results were, were just very, just like very bad, you know, especially for a Pixar movie. And Pixar used to be a very sure thing at the box office. Um, so, when the pandemic was starting, they had released Onward, which I thought that was a good movie. Um, but it didn't get to make as much money as it should, obviously, and, you know, through no fault of its own. Um, and then Disney Plus decided to really, you know, dive into their streaming service and start to release everything on there. So, you know, you had movies like Soul and Luca and Turning Red and, you know, except for Encanto. Encanto made it into the theaters and was a big, really big smash hit. Um, but other than that, they've been releasing everything to the Disney Plus streamers. So a lot of questions need to be answered as far as like, were, was it a bad strategy for Disney to move a lot of these, um, movies onto their streaming platform? Cause I think Luca and Turning Red and, and even, uh, Soul, I think could have done some good business at the theaters because again, we never really shut down. Like we were still open. Um, but they decided to put these exclusively on the streamers. So. That's a factor as into why this movie didn't do well is people probably were assuming like, well, maybe it's going to be on Disney Plus soon, so we'll just wait. And the other thing is, of course, you didn't market this thing like with a clear vision of what it was. And, you know, for as adult as some of these Pixar movies are and they cater to like that adult audience as well, these movies overall are made for children. 
and they know the voice of Buzz Lightyear and who he is and what the character is and you know the goofiness, the comedicness, the the over the topness. And when you get into something like Lightyear, where it kind of tries to take itself a little bit more serious for as much as it can as a cartoon, and I just think people didn't fall for it, and I, I think it was a big fail. And you know, Tim Allen has come out and said like, you know, I wish they would have made more of a connection to the Toy Story movies. Tom Hanks came out and was kind of like, well, why didn't they just bring back Tim Allen and do like a a spinoff Buzz Lightyear movie? Like they could have. I think that would have been the better move to do than than opposed to doing like this whole new thing and trying to be like real meta with the Toy Story franchise because you know why do you want to why do you want to mess with a good thing like Toy Story although it it should have wrapped up with the third movie they made a fourth one and the movie ended up being damn good and it made a lot of money too so I don't know why they messed with that formula um could this conceivably have killed the Toy Story franchise I don't think so, but it definitely didn't do it uh, any favors, this movie. So, yes, I think it's made a little over $100 million, but by Pixar standards and by the – and you can't blame the pandemic either because all these other movies, like I just mentioned, Jurassic World is doing over $300 million and Doctor Strange over $400 million and Top Gun Maverick over $600 million. Do you see where I'm going with this? Like they're doing regular pre-pandemic numbers, so we can't really use that as an excuse anymore. So that's the first – probably the only dud of the summer. Um, and then we had Elvis came out. Elvis, again, another adult movie. Um, Baz Luhrmann, who's done like The Great Gatsby and Moulin Rouge and the uh, Leonardo DiCaprio Romeo and Juliet. <coughs> Excuse me. Was that gonna attract like a younger audience with a hipper style? <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and of course, uh, Elvis is a, thing from like the 60s so are we moving too far away where people just don't really care anymore <clears throat> excuse me wow i'm having a really bad cough attack here bear with me folks and the adult audience came back out for this one as well and it was a, another smash hit i think it made over like 50 million opening weekend it's also passed over 100 million i think it's made more than light year i think i saw that in an article somewhere so Kudos to Boz Lerman for that. Kudos to Warner Brothers. And then kudos to Austin Butler, who was a real hit with the young crowd. Because, again, I work in a movie theater, so I'm seeing a lot of what what people are responding to and how the audience is responding. So, like, the adult liked the story of Elvis, but then you had, like, the younger kids were, like, you know, like, the younger teenage girls were like, oh, Austin Butler, he's so cute or whatever. You know, you make, like, a little star out of that. So, you're able to bridge the gap with both generations. Same thing with Top Gun Maverick. You know, you had the older crowd that was into Tom Cruise and Jennifer Connelly and the whole, like, lore of Top Gun. But then you had the younger generation that were into, like, the Miles Teller and Glenn Powell and a lot of the younger castmates that they had in that movie. So a lot of good bridging of the gap. So that's why these movies were very, like, rewatchable and people were coming and going uh, of all the different age groups. So smash hit there for Elvis. So... Another reason why we can't uh, give any excuses to light years because a few weeks later, uh, Minions came out. The Rise of Gru, which was another one of those movies that was shelled for a very long time, uh, just like Top Gun Maverick. And that movie was a smash hit. You know, that thing made over a hundred plus million opening weekend. Um, not even Lightyear did that. Um, you know, there was a TikTok trend for this movie. Like, this is the first, like, real, and I've read an article on Forbes about this. 
this was like the first real like animation franchise like for this generation so and the despicable me franchise kind of kicked off i think like in the kind of like before 2010 or like a little bit like just right before or after and uh so a lot of those kids now are uh, kind of like in the teenager years so they, they can they, that's their nostalgia a little bit and they can be related more relatable to this movie so there was a lot of TikTok trends going on with this movie, some of them just to be disruptive at the theaters. And while we appreciated the business of it, it was also like, you know, we weren't going to tolerate any of that nonsense. So that movie, you know, for what it was, like still brought out a lot of families. But, you know, there was that little distraction. It wasn't too big big of a dis- distraction, but um, still made a lot of money. So you can't make excuses for light years. So for all of you Disney shills out there that just want to give a pass and think Disney's the all, 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 be all end all of everything. Um, yeah, can't really, can't really say much. Um, next we had Thor, Love and Thunder. Uh, the next Marvel movie, which usually we get about a little bit more months in between movies, but now the fact that we're getting so much content every year from the MCU, like the, the gaps between movies are going to become shorter and shorter. Um, I was really looking forward to this one when they announced everything out of the next phase. Uh, it was this one in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Um, but specifically this movie because they were gonna bring, uh, Christian Bale into the fold as the villain, as Gore the God Butcher, and I don't know who he is, but, you know, they announced him and all the geeks are like, yeah, like, you know, again, it's getting weirder, and a lot of the villains are getting more obscure, a lot of the characters are getting more obscure. And of course, the other big hook of Thor was they were going to bring back Natalie Portman to play the mighty Thor, the female Thor. I forgot what I ended up calling her, but you know, I love Natalie Portman, but they really underserved her in this series. So that was going to be another curious thing. And I grew to love Thor Ragnarok. I remember not liking it the first time I saw it, or I kind of just thought it was all right. And then on rewatch, like you kind of caught a lot of the the tones uh, and the jokes that they were going for in that movie. So it, it worked. And here, uh, it kind of just went overload with it. Like, they, they turned it to the millionth degree. And while I enjoyed a lot of the punchlines, a lot of it fell very flat because they just didn't know when to stop. And it just went so over the top with it. Christian Bale was amazing, of course. I had no doubts about that. I knew he was going to steal the movie, so he was great. Felt like he was in a completely different movie. And the movie starts off very dark, too, so it's like, it's weird how it goes from that opening to, like, this full-on cheese fest. And Chris Hemsworth's as good as the buffoon, but it's like, dude, you're also like, I miss the Thor from, like, Infinity War, where he was, like, such a, like, he was tormented, and he could be funny, too, but he was also, like, this guy, like, just, you don't want to fuck with. And in this one, it was kind of like, it's just a big goof. Like, yeah, he could kick ass, but for the most part, they just treated him like a big goof. Uh, the other things I really enjoyed about the movie were the the romantic comedy aspect when it came to Thor and Natalie Portman's character of Jane Foster. I wish there was a little bit more of that in that movie. You know, more love, less thunder. <laughs> one of the jokes uh, on my social media accounts. Um, so, again, another one of those Marvel movies that was just okay, three stars. Um could I rewatch it again? Sure. And again, what I also liked about these two Marvel movies, and I'm not saying they were like great, great, great. They were just, they're good. Like they're watchable is that they weren't like two and a half hour, like bloated movies. They were just straight two hours. And, and that's, and that's awesome for these day and age because a lot of the times, like they just want to make movies long for like no reason. And these were kind of just like to the point And, you know, you got just enough where, you know, you kind of, 
get your appetite wet a little bit. You know, you're not full out eating till you're like just bloated full. So I know people were expecting more out of it. And I know a lot of people didn't like Thor Love and Thunder. And the box office numbers also really showed that. It opened huge. It was the biggest opening for, for the Thor franchise. But it also dipped like really hard. Like, and you could tell at our theaters too. Like, I think by the time like Monday came around after opening weekend, like it was just bare bones and, and just again, I know Marvel's the number one thing going and it's not going to stop anytime soon, but the atmosphere and the energy is just very different. And for those of you that don't work at movie theaters and you're just those shills at home that just stand all of this stuff and think it's all awesome. You're not seeing what I'm seeing on a regular basis at the theater. Like, the energy is different. The atmosphere is different. You're not getting, like, all of this excitement, like, once the movie's over or people, like, just talking about it. Like, it's water cooler talk. Like, it's just, it just is. Like, the these movies are just flavors of the week, you know? And that paved the way for also uh, another little movie to be a success. And that was Where the Crawdads Sing. That was, it's based on a book and, you know, catering more to that adult female audience which you know ended up doing really well because you know thor took a a fall the second weekend so that one was able to get a little bit more of that crowd to go into there you know we know the female audience loves thor but they went to go see this movie as well so another surprise hit a very small budget and i think it's going to make it all the way back is this going to be a hundred million dollar movie no but it's going to make enough to where you can call it a hit and then we came to this past weekend with jordan peele's nope which was built as like an original like alien sci-fi horror movie, which is right up my alley. If you go aliens and you take it serious, like I'm, I'm going to be there opening weekend. And I was. And I thought the movie was good. And um, But also Jordan Peele is one of those guys that throws in a lot of symbolism in his movies and a lot of stuff to make you chew on. And this movie had me thinking like the last couple of days after I saw it, which means like that. That it had an impact and it was good. So um, I can't wait to rewatch it and to catch more of the uh, symbolism in it. It's got probably, to me, the most frightening scene in all of movies this year. It was just there's, – there's two of them, actually, but one of them was done with such – it was filmed so amazingly. Like, this was the first time Jordan Peele got to use the IMAX cameras for his movie, and I saw it on the IMAX screen, which just gave it a much better presentation – uh, especially when you when you use the the IMAX cameras right, so the movie felt bigger in scope, uh, felt bigger than Get Out and Us on a, on a on a technical standpoint. Like it just feels massive. Um, to me, like and Jordan Peele's also been zero and two with me. You know, I thought Get Out was okay. I, I didn't see it as the the monster hit everybody else saw it as. And then Us was like it had a weird like third act, and I was just like I, it kind of fell off for me. So. I mean, it's still like pretty well-made movie, but I it didn't stick the landing for me. This one was was pretty solid all the way through. Uh, a little bit of a higher three-star rating for me on this one, just because I wasn't like overly wowed. But the fact that I was still thinking about it once it was over and days after, I was still like thinking about it. Um, that that makes it a little bit more of a higher-rated movie. So that that made a good. Uh, Almost like 45 million opening weekend. Um, we'll see if it holds up. As I mentioned, we're, we're at the tail end of the summer movie season. We still got a couple of weeks ago. We got, you know, DC Super Pets this weekend. And then the week after that, we got Bullet Train. And then it's pretty much bare bones until like 
late September, early October. Um, but we'll see how those movies do. But nope, you know, I wasn't expecting it to do like a hundred million opening weekend or anything like that. But it in this post pandemic world, and I know we can't really like fault that anymore because of everything that I just laid out for you in terms of what what all these movies have made. But also like nope it, it was banking on the name of Jordan Peele. And and no offense to him, but he's still like not on the level of a Christopher Nolan or, you know, a Quentin Tarantino where you can bank the movie on the director's name. And you can with him. Like he's made strides. Like don't get me wrong, it's only his third movie, so he's only gonna get better, we hope. And uh, that that's still a pretty good showing for him. So forty five million is decent enough in my book. Um, now whether the studios think that, and you know whatever happens with his next movie going forward, we'll see if they they think that of him as well. But to me, that forty five million is 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 pretty solid. And I think uh, I'm not sure if the movie is going to hold up well because it it does get a little weird. So that may not be everybody's cup of tea, and that that may be its downfall. But we'll see after Super Pets comes out this weekend, and then uh, the final adult movie will be Bullet Train. So if it if it ends up losing a majority of the audience to that, then uh, nope, doesn't stand a chance of of making as much money as it could. But either way, a very interesting summer season. Um, although there wasn't like a super abundance of movies, the movies that did come out and the ones, uh, that made a giant splash like that, that just helped raise the, the success of the box office this, this summer way better than 2021 and 2020, of course. Um, we're not back to like the record numbers that 2019 gave us, but again, we had movies like Endgame and, Toy Story 4 and you know Disney just ruled that summer and they had like all these massive hits Lion King and everything so I didn't think the final Star Wars movie of the Skywalker saga so there was a lot of stuff that was kind of like the culmination the final stuff so yes we were going to see really big uh record numbers for that and I think it'll be a while before we see that we reach that kind of milestone again but very successful summer movie season I am very tired physically from work i can't wait to go on vacation soon once this dies down and it is going to die down soon folks because uh i'm very worried for like middle of august all the way to like early october where there's really not going to be anything i mean for for crying out loud they're re-releasing spider-man no way home like that's how bare bones it's going to be um real quickly like there was a, a trailer for a movie called samaritan starring sylvester stallone which is about like this guy who used to be a superhero back in the day but now he's like all old and in hiding and everybody thinks he's dead and that got pushed to amazon prime like this thing was going to be a theatrical release in around late august which would have been perfect because there's nothing so why not try to make some money i'm not saying it was going to be a huge hit or anything but i think amazon could have made some money off of this um this movie was made before amazon made the purchase of mgm uh, the film library and all that stuff, uh, before it got it under its umbrella. But I think that that's a, that's a mistake there, but you know, it is what it is. But yeah, I, I, that trailer came out. I, I think it looks pretty decent. It's one of those movies. It doesn't look cheap. So like you could tell it was made by a real studio. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm very satisfied with this, with this season, especially Top Gun Maverick, man. I just cannot believe. Like, Tom Cruise is it, man. That is that is the movie star of my lifetime. And there will never be anybody like him again. And even while, while Top Gun was raking in all that money, 
he was able to drop in that Mission Impossible trailer uh, for next summer. So for the next two summers, we're going to get uh, Tom Cruise action movies with Mission Impossible's Dead Reckoning Part 1 in, in summer 2023 and then in summer 2024 for Part 2. So, and I think that's going to be the, the final two movies for the Mission Impossible franchise. So this thing has an end game. You know, it's not going to be like Marvel where it's going to keep going. And I'm sure Paramount would probably want to keep it going. And the other thing to look at is now that Top Gun Maverick has made all this, this massive amounts of money, you know, they're trying to talk Tom Cruise into making a part three. You know, discussions are happening. Now, will he want to do it? Would I want him to do it? No, like go do something else. You know, I, I think they told a great story and they kind of wrapped it up there pretty well. But man, if, if they could come up with another good story and another reason to do it and they film it like that again, I guarantee you everybody will come out and it'll be like the, it'll, that'll be like, you know, you want to talk about like opening weekend numbers. That's where you're like, man, we could, they could probably make a rec, run at a record there. I'm not, I'm not saying like Avengers Endgame, but maybe close to it. I'm just saying like th- this movie was like a hit with everybody. I have yet to see anybody say anything. Ne- this was like, this is almost like Dark Knight stuff. You know, when the Dark Knight came out, I know I'm a little biased towards those Nolan Batman movies, but I'm telling you, man, when the Dark Knight came out, it was such a pop cultural phenomenon that it took forever to die out. Everybody loved it. Everybody rewatched it so many times. And I'm getting that same feeling for, you know, for Top Gun. And yes, we had the Spider-Man and the end games, but they didn't have this longevity. They made more money because they made more money like in its first few weekends. But the fact that Top Gun has lasted all these months and it's still like the talk of like social media and, you know, it's even, you know, the people's wallets are proving it. They're going out every weekend still. I had somebody that come that came like just maybe a week ago and they're like, man, I finally was able to get a ticket to this. Like that's how popular it's been. So I think we're in a special time right now in a special moment with this movie. So I'm going to soak it in as much as possible. And uh, hopefully we'll see if it gets some Oscar love. So I, I think it deserves some. Um, but we'll see. But that's the summer movie season. And I think the last movie I'm going to check out is Bullet Train. So that's probably when, when you'll see me drop another episode with a review on it. And I know I didn't go you know, full on in depth of all these movies. But I at least gave you some perspective on what I saw and what I liked and didn't like. You know, it's a, it's a good mixture of both. Like, you know, I'm, I don't like every movie, but, you know, I, 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 I try to talk about it as fair as I can. I know a lot of people like to call me a hater on Facebook when I don't like something, but, you know, I, I, I'm just honest. Like, if you don't like it, that's tough shit. Deal with it. You know, you're, you're not going to change the way I feel about a movie. And, and, and what I say shouldn't even affect what you feel about a movie. If you love a movie, great. What I say about it, whether it be positive or negative should have no impact on how you view it and how you see it. Like there's people that I get to like, and I get in their heads and I don't know why I don't understand it. It makes no sense to me. I'm a nobody. I'm just a guy that I'm just a, a guy that watches a movie and then I critique him. But anyway, yes, yeah, summer movie season wrapping up. Uh, we're going to wrap, we're going to wrap things up on that portion. Let's take one more final break. When we come back, I'm going to talk about the biggest change in professional wrestling that happened this past week. It's huge, folks. It is huge. This is Palace Off the Top Rope, 
We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show, folks. And I'm coming back at a very, very interesting time in wrestling. Uh, for the most part, summer has been very stale in terms of what I like about wrestling. It's kind of just been there. You know, we had big injuries to Cody Rhodes, who had just returned to WWE at WrestleMania. Um, he tore his pectoral muscle uh, at hell, a little bit before the Hell in the Cell pay-per-view, which was, I think, in either late May, I think. Or early May, I forgot when it was exactly, but he's out of action. But he's he had been the best thing going about WWE in terms of storyline, where they were presenting him correctly and very interestingly. Uh, the other side of things on AEW, um, of course, my favorites like Brian Danielson out with injury, CM Punk won the AEW World Championship, so finally we got to see him hold the championship title once more in pro wrestling, but he also injured his foot at the same time. So he's been out of action uh, up until now, and I'm still not sure when he's going to come back, but it's not going to be too much longer. So summer's kind of just been, eh, you know, whatever with wrestling. Like, I'll still watch it, but I'm not as umped about it or as, you know, so in-depth with it. And they got a pay-per-view this Saturday. It's SummerSlam, the second biggest event of the year. Um, pretty decent card. Um, and I'll watch it and hopefully my girls will be interested and hopefully they will once I tell them the news and the biggest news folks that dropped, uh, just in all of pro wrestling is the fact that Vince McMahon is no longer running anything in WWE. Now to give you context, he's been involved in some investigations that are going on as far as like, uh, disclosed NDAs about hush money and, you know, sexual harassment and stuff like that. And, you know, Vince McMahon is like 77 years old, I think, or a little closer to 80. And as much as I loved everything that he's done for the wrestling industry, you know, he's given me a lot of great moments. You know, I've been watching this thing since I was a kid. So, you know, I have a lot to thank him for on that end. Um, He's also been out of touch for a very long time and numerous times on this podcast. I have showed you all my frustrations and just everything that's wrong about WWE in terms of creative storytelling and bad booking decisions. And, you know, I had said for a very long time, I mean, I think it was going to take him leaving or, or whatever. You know, I don't, I don't want him to die or anything like that. But I think dramatically would have probably had to have come to that. Like he was going to do this until, you know, the wheels came completely off, you know. That's just how much he's dedicated to to this industry and and everything that he brings to it. Like he's done multiple interviews and stuff like that where he doesn't consider this stuff work. He considers it fun, so he never takes a break from it. He never goes on vacation or anything like that. So he's always just full on twenty four seven with this thing. But now that he's got this huge scandal in front of him, and the fact that stuff came out about him using company money to to deal with these allegations that he's dealing with. I mean, again, I don't want to go into the whole specifics because I don't want to get anything wrong, but it's pretty bad to the point where the board of directors basically 
had him resign from the company. Um, and not just from like off air, but like from creative and all that stuff. So he's going to be no longer in control of any of the creative storylines that happen on WWE television. And that is huge because he has always been a part of it. So we're about to enter a world of WWE where what's it going to be like without Vince McMahon? And we've been, hope is the wrong word, but you know, we've been, kind of waiting for this day because it, the product has just been so bad and we know they have such amazing talent there that we know they're being held back or being restrained and not given like a little bit of creative freedom because Vince McMahon has one vision but it's sad to say that, that vision's out of date and it's out of touch and it's not up to, it's not up to the modern times but now we're going to see that and news came out well first of, first off the the resigning of Vince McMahon came this past Friday. So he, he put it off as a retirement and he put it off in a tweet and then sent off a memo to through WWE.com or however it got released. But then on Monday we found out more about the situation and it turns out the board had him like resigned and so he's, he's gone. Like he's not coming back. And I don't never say never in wrestling, but the fact that this type of money was messed around with on a publicly traded company and you know, you got investors and, the stock and all that stuff, like that's just very, very bad news. And so I don't see Vince McMahon returning in any capacity uh, to WWE, not even to just make an on-screen appearance or anything like that. Like I, I just don't see it happening. With that news on Monday, we also were left wondering, well, who's going to run storylines? And the person that had been groomed for that, or at least we thought, was uh, Triple H, real name Paul Levesque who's married to Vince McMahon's daughter, Stephanie McMahon, who will now take over as one of the CEOs of WWE. Because, again, Vince McMahon's completely gone. He's done. He's finished. So it's going to be run by her and Nick Khan, who had been brought in a couple years ago, and he's been handling, like, the business side of WWE, which is why they were able to get, like, these awesome television deals with, you know, NBC Universal, And I'm sure he has something to do with the Fox uh, landing SmackDown and all that stuff. So... He'll be handling more of the business side of WWE, and who knows if this company's going to end up being sold at some point. Uh, but he'll be handling that, and then Stephanie will probably be handling more of the the operational side of things, you know, with the wrestlers and all that stuff. And Paul Levesque, Triple H, you know, we've seen him on screen as a wrestler for since we can all remember, right? Since I was a kid, uh, I've only known Triple H as a wrestler, but like in the last decade or so. He had been running a lot of the developmental side of things. Uh, and they have a brand called NXT, which I've talked about on this show. And he ran a pretty decent television show down there with up and coming wrestlers and storylines. Kind of gave it a really old school feel to it. And for a while there, it was actually the best wrestling product that you could watch. You know, just go back. If you have Peacock, you can watch some of these takeover events if you're kind of skeptical of what Triple H is going to bring to the table creatively. Just watch some of those takeover events and they are some of the, you know, most well put together wrestling shows, um, you know, just in modern wrestling, you know, and, and of course AEW exists now and they obviously put the better shows now. But for the time that Triple H was running the NXT show until he got really sick and had his heart problem and all that stuff, like he was a big of reason why people still kept Watching wrestling, that was like the watch for some people for for them on a weekly basis. Like, whoa, I'm I'm, watch, I'm not watching Raw SmackDown. I'm watching 
NXT. So now that he's going to be actually running things on the main side on Raw and SmackDown, what's it going to look like? Is he going to bring that style that he did on NXT? And I'm sure like put it more on a grander scale. If he can do that, if he can at least increase it by like 10% of what Vince did, I'm not even saying like Triple H has to just scrap everything completely and start from, you know, from, from scratch. You know, if he could just do 5% better than Vince McMahon, that's an upgrade. Like that's how bad Vince McMahon's WWE product had been becoming. And again, he only saw it through one lens. So he, he was surrounded by a lot of yes men. So there was nobody to ever really push back on him. So Triple H took over starting Monday, I believe. So I'm not sure how much he had to do with, uh, with Monday Night Raw, but you could already tell little subtle differences in the presentation of the show. Um, and you could tell like a lot of the silly stuff that Vince McMahon had in place was kind of wiped away, you know. For example, um, there's this thing that they did where, and I don't know why they, they did it like this, but whenever they had wrestlers backstage, watching wrestlers on the tv monitor right like wrestlers like keeping an eye on so and so on their match and they would have them stand in a way where like they're standing next to the television as opposed to in front of it looking at the screen like it just looked very off and it, it was a very dumb way to present somebody watching television and just little subtle differences like that where we had something like that this past week but the person was watching the the television monitor like a normal person right so you could tell there's little differences being made. Now, I'm not expecting it to change dramatically overnight, but if they can make little subtle changes like this, uh, get consistent booking and not like start something and then drop it out of nowhere. Vince McMahon was very famous for that. Like he could start something, but if he gets bored with it, he'll change it and go in a different direction. Um, he would go into like Raws and Smackdowns and like with shows ready to go and he would rip the script up. Like, you know, just hours before the shows to go on air and they would rewrite everything. Like, that's chaos. That is chaos. And a good thing about WWE is that they're a live show and they they know how to operate in chaos. But that doesn't mean you should always be operating in it. It's a personal philosophy I have when I when it comes to my job and work. Like, I can work in the chaos. But if you're expecting me to walk into chaos every single week, like, that's draining. Like, on a physical level and emotional. So... If they can get that cut out of the way and, and, you know, wrestlers can have a little bit more, I'm not saying full on freedom whenever they do promos and stuff like that, but if they can just give them talking points and just let their characters and personalities flesh out, it's going to be all for the better. Trust me. Like Vince McMahon is responsible for a lot of the greatest stuff that we've had in wrestling moments and all that stuff, but it's time for a new direction. It's time for a modernized version of WWE. And I'm very curious to see what that's going to look like. And that's that all starts with SummerSlam this Saturday. Like that card was put together by Vince McMahon and, and company, but Triple H is going to be running that show and we'll see what either what tweaks he does to it, what splashes he makes creatively, what you know, and then of course the Raw after on that Monday is going to be very interesting to see like what stuff he starts to, you know, bring in on his own, like what what direction does he see storylines going. So, um wrestling's not stale anymore, folks. Like I know CM Punk's still out and Cody Rhodes is still out, and I think Brian Brian Danielson's about to return to AEW, but right now 
the most interesting thing going on is how is WWE going to look post Vince McMahon? And that's exciting. That's to me that's not scary, it's exciting. And I'm hopeful and we can get some healthy competition between them and AEW. Not that it has to be one or the other, but it could be both folks. And they like when in the Attitude Era, when the Monday Night Wars were going on, when WCW was at its peak and WWE was at its peak, like that was awesome, man. Like every week, like I, I'm, I've never been one of those fans that takes one side over the other. Like I want to enjoy all of pro wrestling, so I was one of those guys. Like, yeah, I would watch Nitro when I could, and then of course I would turn the channel and watch Raw. Or if Raw was on later, I would watch all of Nitro and you know, vi- you know, whatever the case was. I like to watch all of it. So I'll be the same here with AEW and WWE. And I'm, st- I, I have been like that regardless. I like to watch all of it, but I want it to all be good. Like, I don't want one to suck. Like, th- where's the benefit as a fan for that? And, and those people that get off on that are like, ha ha ha, WWE sucks and AEW is like killing it. Like, don't you want it to all be good so you can just enjoy it? Why do you want to watch something frustratingly like that's bad? If WWE can improve and be just as good, in AEW, the same thing and makes them elevate and they get even better too. That's just badass as a fan for, for everybody. I don't know. Just my opinion. But that's the big news. SummerSlam Saturday. I usually do preview shows for stuff like this, but I kind of really don't have the time for that as we're nearing so close to that show. Uh, and I'm just getting this thing back up and started. Um, again, my spinoff show, The 90s Films Turned 30. I've got a lot of episodes planned and I've got guests lined up that are ready to do these shows. They've been, they've been asking me and they've been pestering me in a good way though. I, I enjoy it, but I needed to upgrade all of my equipment first before we could move that forward. But now we're ready to move on. The SM Football Marks show is about to come back full. Full throttle as the NFL season, the 2022 NFL season is about to kick off. Uh, we're almost in September, folks. It's, it's going to be crazy. It's going to be a fun ride. Tom Brady's back, baby. I am ready. Uh, it's just going to be a fun, fun ride. And now I have all my equipment up to date. And let's do this shit, man. Let's fucking do it. I'm so happy when I do my podcast. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you all for tuning in to today, tonight's episode. Um, it's been a blast. I'm kind of just winging it right now. I usually like to structure my shows, but I'm like, man, I just got to get behind the mic and start talking again because I've missed it. I've missed you guys. Uh, there's going to be a lot more to come soon, so thanks for tuning in. Again, you can always find this podcast on Spotify. Search Palace Off the Top Rope. Hit that subscribe or follow button. I would greatly appreciate it. I also give you this podcast through the Podbean channel, and it's uh, fed through like my social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, all of that. You can listen on podbee.com. You can listen on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe. Leave me the five stars. All that stuff. You know, any comments or reviews that you want to give me, I, I, I take all of that in, whether it's good or bad. I appreciate you guys so much. Thank you all, and we'll see you on the next episode.